Okay, let's get back to the show, man. Trump surrenders to cops. Yesterday's tired, weakened news. So it's going to be interesting as he sticks his head further and further out how that plays out. But it's four years later. It's He's gone through January 6th. He's going through all these potential indictments. He just doesn't look like the same. Whether you love him or hate him, he doesn't have that same strength, for lack of a better word. Donald Trump without strength is nothing. Yeah, you know, there's this weird vibe around him. Uh, John Heilman, there was this weird vibe around him the night he made his announcement uh, that he was running for president again. His kids wouldn't show up. Mm-hmm. A weird vibe in that South Carolina event. It's like Lindsay- they were looking at the audience and they yeah. were uncomfortable by what they saw. Maybe it was very small or I don't know what. Well, I mean, Lindsey Graham looked like uh, he was a hostage up there. Uh, the governor. Look at them. It's like a wake. Uh, no, it, it's just, again, everything, a political wake, everything seems uh, strained and weak. I don't know. Maybe maybe he pulls it off again. Right now, I don't see anybody beating him. But, my God, uh, Donnie is right. Uh, he's lost more than a step. I think that's right. And I think, Joe, you know, I, I, I'm a... Um, uh, looking at, at you know, looking at the way Republicans of a older, um, of an older vintage oh kind of look at Trump, and and I saw a newsletter the other day. My friend John Ellis, uh, a distant, not distant, a member of the of the Bush family, but who's you know also a long time was was at Fox News for a long time, and and uh, an ally of Roger Ailes, writes a very smart newsletter. Uh, and in this newsletter, he talked about how. Uh, the conventional wisdom is a lot of the things that we're all saying here about Trump, but he doesn't really disagree with that, but he kind of made a really astute point, which was about part of the way to take on Trump uh, is, is yeah, you got to take him on uh, if you're a Republican. You eventually have to go man-to-man against him. Eventually, you have to get in the ring with him. You have to be able to beat him. You have to be able to stand up to the bully, all that stuff. But the thing that the Republican Party has has been lacking, notably, uh, substantively and thematically over the course of the whole Trump era has been any sense of optimism, any sense of hope. So you can see Donald Trump, his campaign is not the same. He's weak now. And again, again, it's not to say that 2016 Trump was this strong whatever guy, but if you listen to Trump in 2016, one, the dementia and cognitive decline is not nearly as evident. Like he sounds 10 years younger, 15 years younger, five years ago, six years ago, for being perfectly honest and fair. But it's also that like he was energetic and whatnot. Yeah, he was doing evil, but he was like passionate about doing evil. Now he's just going through the motions. That's why his rallies are smaller. That's why no one's cheering and raucous at his rallies. Because even the cult is like, yeah, man, this guy was exciting for me in 2015, 2016. But now he's just complaining about being a whiny loser baby. And frankly, I'm not here for it. I want him to give me something new, give me something exciting. And it's just not happening. And then it gets into this idea, guys, that right now, Donald Trump's double-edged sword of criminality is finally cutting him instead of someone else. That for so many years, decades, generations even, Donald Trump's mafia-style organization has protected him from consequences because he's always been able to get other people from his staff to even his kids to do his dirty work and insulate himself. But now that very system is being turned against him because people near him on that pyramid are finally starting to flip. Is as a criminal charge. And so 
Um, I don't know how optimistic I would be about whether Ellen Weisselberg is going to cooperate against Donald Trump. In that tax case, he did agree to cooperate against the Trump organization, but he said he didn't have any information against Donald Trump himself. Um, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But it's, it's hard to imagine that he was willing to go to Rikers Island for five months and held back something that he knew about Donald Trump, uh, and yet would be willing to change his mind now. But nonetheless, I suppose once you have a taste of Rikers Island and the thought of staying for longer <laughs> than five months, uh, maybe that is uh, more persuasive than any words could ever be. I mean, I think there's also, and again, I'm not making any commentary about Mr. Weisselberg or what he did or didn't do, but you're watching your family watch you go through that can have sometimes an unexpectedly um, traumatic um, result. I, I, and I don't, I don't know anything about, about his family, but I, I wonder if that also figures in to some of the timing on, on going to a witness as essential as Mr. Weisselberg. I, I want to ask you, Barb, we're, we're going to have um, Mark Pomerantz here on Tuesday, so we'll get a chance to ask him and we'll get to share everything in the book. All that is available now to NBC News is one chapter, and I've read some of what has been written publicly, and so that's all we've seen so far. But you know, there have been some people, I mean, people like Michael Cohen, people like Donnie Deutsch, people who've been around the Trump orbit for a long time have always thought that a racketeering investigation might be the only way to capture all of the bad slash criminal conduct that happens under right. the umbrella of Trump. What do you think of that reporting? Whether it was ultimately abandoned, obviously we haven't seen that. But what do you make of that that approach to investigating all of Trump's enterprises? Yeah, so, you know, first, um, proving any kind of a, a white-collar case requires willful intent, which can be very difficult to do. It's why people uh, in these crime organizations and white-collar criminal organizations uh, sometimes get away with their crimes because proving that intent can be so difficult. But it's not impossible. Uh, jurors are instructed to look at the totality of the circumstances, which includes, you know, all of the facts and all of the things people said. And so when it comes to uh, racketeering, um, that is a great tool when you want to bring under one umbrella a lot of different criminal schemes, but that were all done as part of a pattern of an association. And so that association may be the Trump organization, uh, but you could include under one umbrella acts of extortion, bribery, fraud, uh, threats, tax offenses. Um, all of those things can come together because there's one scheme, one goal to advance the financial fortunes of that organization um, and that everybody understood the hierarchy and everybody understood what the game was all about. Um, and so in that way, it can be very useful. It can extend the statute of limitations, reaching back uh, as long as you have a last act occurring within five years. Um, you can bring in, in a federal legal prosecution both federal and state predicate crimes. So it's a way of bringing in together uh, what might otherwise be separate cases, but it allows a jury to understand the full scope of criminal activity. And, you know, based on the things that we're hearing here about how Donald Trump conducted his business, um, we haven't seen the evidence of it, but it's certainly consistent with the kinds of cases that are often brought in racketeering cases. I, I want to give you the last word. Um, I'm, I'm still just wrapped around what you said about his admiration for John Gotti, and, and I'm mad at myself for being surprised by it. I mean, he's not someone that has ever been attracted to anyone benevolent, so I don't know why I'm, I'm horrified and that I he admires John Gotti. we've been John talking Gotti. about this together for like seven years now, right. so I'm surprised you're surprised. Well, I, I guess my question would be, 
I think he'll like that. So when he sees that someone saw him as John Gotti, it, it, you could imagine him almost incriminating himself. You know, well, they're right on John Gotti. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he. I think he does not want to be seen as John Gotti the criminal. I think he wants to be seen as John Gotti the tough thug. And, uh, and he certainly in a courtroom, I think, would not want to be. And this is where he gets weak. This is where he surrendered tonight. Now, Donald Trump is not one to surrender to the police, to law enforcement, to officials, not anyone. And he just was found guilty a few weeks ago. We remember, we remember this. He was found guilty. His corporation was, not him. I should be clear. clear. But we all know it was basically him was found guilty for a $1.6 million fine. And everyone was actually saying, if you go back to my videos on this, hundreds of you said he'll never pay the fine. He'll just not do it. He'll bounce checks. He'll write a fake check. He's going to appeal this all the way to the Supreme Court or however high he can appeal it, if possible. He will never give up. He will never surrender, even though his company was found guilty. Many people said that. Many very intelligent people. Well, today, he surrendered. And the authorities were shocked that he did and even said, surprisingly, the check didn't bounce. It says here, Donald Trump's companies have paid a $1.6 million fine after they were found guilty of tax fraud. The companies owned by the former president were found guilty of 17 counts of financial crimes in December of 2022. The conviction has since sparked interest in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office for looking at Trump personally for possible fraud. A grand jury was impaneled last month to address that case. The Daily Beast confirmed that the New York County to the New York County clerk that the payments were made with two checks. The clerk also confirmed matter of factly that the checks didn't bounce. <laughs> he surrendered. The top cops in New York nailed his company with criminal charges. He went to court, was found guilty. He didn't appeal. He didn't write fake checks. He didn't whine and complain. The weak man that he is surrendered to the will of New York law enforcement. Got on his knees, hands in his back, said, here's my money. Donald, old Donald Trump would have never done that. Now, he did the right thing here. I'm not criticizing him. But this is a man who's weak. Strong, confident Donald Trump would have just not done it. He would, he, he would have just not done it. One like, hour Everyone ago. was saying in comments, he was like, he's not, he's not going to pay it. He's just going to write a fake check and then just delay it for three years somehow <laughs> and become president again and then somehow argue that he's immune for paying fines as president. But Donald... Okay. Other comments. When a person behaves like Trump has all of his going to jail for the rest of his life is too good for him. The checks didn't bounce. OMG, I lost it. Until we see him cuffed and hauled away to the Huska and in an orange jumpsuit. I'm not believing any of or all of these charades. Hopefully this is one of many more defeats to come. Let the domino effect begin. Christo, if he ever gets arrested, I won't believe you. LOL. The way it's going for Donnie, it kind of looks like he might want to join a funeral procession. With him being the guest in the box. People are celebrating Biden's job growth all over the place. We gotta spread it around. Christo Trump is going to be pissed. Christo, please do something about the awful headlines for your program. They do your content a disservice. Au contraire.
So I said, I just found this guy's videos and I subscribed within this past week. But yeah, I'm about to unsubscribe and stop watching if you can't. Just be more honest. Someone said, bye. I'm sure he won't miss you. <laughs> Top prosecutor identifies who Trump pardoned. Oh shit, this is six months ago. Everyone is talking about this. this new ice pack that has been on the news lately. It says drinking this ice water can flush one pound of belly fat every day. My grandma gave it a try seven weeks ago. Check that out. That's my grandma. Now this ice pack... Check it out. That's my grandma. Now we've got 30-year former federal prosecutor and host of Justice Matters on YouTube, my friend Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for coming back on. Great to be with you, Brian. So let's start off first with pardons. Uh, we've heard a lot about pardons lately. We know that Rudy Giuliani and Mark Meadows requested one, along with testimony that Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Biggs, Gosar, Brooks all requested ones as well. Is there any indication to suggest whether they were granted those pardons that they requested? And how would you know? So this is going to be the big reveal. When people begin um, uh, to be on the receiving end of indictments, and let's hope they are sometime soon, what they'll do is they'll pull a pardon out of their back pocket and they'll claim that the government is prohibited from prosecuting them because they have a pardon. The way we should know, Brian, is there's an office of the pardon attorney at the Department of Justice, and there is a whole bunch of rules and procedures and protocol in place by which applications for a pardon are vetted through the office of the party pardon attorney. They're investigated, recommendations are made to the president, and then once granted, they are recorded. So everybody knows precisely what the president is doing on the pardon front. However, all of that is waivable by the president. So, you know, if you listen to what people who used to work at the office of the pardon attorney say, they say virtually the president could doodle a pardon on a cocktail napkin or worse, he could deliver an oral pardon. And there is nothing to say in the law or the Constitution that that would not be a validly delivered pardon. Yeah. So how would we know? We would know if they followed procedures, which we know they didn't. There are another couple of indicators, though, based on what we have learned that suggest some people may have pardons. One of the things a pardon does is it extinguishes your right against self-incrimination, your Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution. So in theory, if you have a presidential pardon, you can't go in to a hearing, whether a congressional hearing or a criminal proceeding, and invoke the Fifth. Why? Because you don't have Who got a, a pardon? This is now, Glenn Kirchner. let's use that data point and look at what Brian some Tanner of the Cohen. people have done when they've been called to testify before the January 6th Select Committee. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Clark pled the fifth. That suggests he has no pardon. Mike Flynn pled the fifth. No pardon. John Why didn't Eastman they get pled the fifth. No pardon. Who didn't plead the fifth? Much to my surprise, Rudy Giuliani. Well, they didn't get charged. We either. know Rudy Giuliani has a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because he's being investigated by the Department of Justice, most directly the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office, which more than a year ago now acquired a search warrant to seize Rudy Giuliani's electronic devices because a judge concluded there was probable cause that there was evidence of crime in Rudy's electronic devices. So for openers right there, 
Rudy Giuliani has a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, but he did not invoke it based on what we know of his appearance before the January 6th committee. That's a data point, Brian, suggesting he has a pardon. It doesn't guarantee that he does because he could just be that reckless. After all, we, we know Rudy. But who are the other people who went in and testified rather than invoking their fifth? Um, Jared Kushner, Don Jr., Ivanka. And here is, to me, the most compelling data point. What did Kellyanne Conway reveal in her book? Now, if we credit what she says, they may be alternative facts, we don't know, but Kellyanne Conway in her book said, at the end of his term, Donald Trump you know, ambled up to me and said, I'm going to use her word, hey, honey, you want a pardon? Everybody needs one. And she reports that she said, Mr. President, unless you know something I don't know, I don't think I need one, so no thank you very much. She said she, said she politely declined. But what does that tell us? If Donald Trump is ambling up to people who are, who are further removed from him and from his inner circle, like a Kellyanne Conway, do we really think he didn't give his own lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who did all that corrupt bidding for him, his own family members, do we really think he exercised sound judgment and restraint and didn't give them pardons? Well, I guess that would beg the question no. then, with regard to Eastman and Clark and Flynn, why not give them pardons? Yeah. Like, what does he have to lose by handing them out to, to, to the rest of these guys, the people who were, who were on his team, who were helping navigate or create this whole election theft scheme? Because as a prosecutor, I would argue that when one co-conspirator delivers a pardon to another co-conspirator, it is deeply incriminating evidence, and a judge, 10 times out of 10, would rule it was admissible to show that they were in the conspiracy together, and he was trying to give his co-conspirator a pass. Because if his co-conspirator doesn't get a pass, gets prosecuted or pressured, threatened with prosecution, what is that co-conspirator going to do? Going to flip against Donald Trump. And remember, I, I am loath. I'm going to hesitate before I say this. I am loath to quote Bill Barr's authority for anything. <laughs> yeah. But even Bill Barr testified under oath that if a president delivered a pardon to somebody, in exchange for that person's silence about the president's crimes, that would be a criminal offense. Even corrupt Attorney General Bill Barr recognizes that. So you're saying that Donald Trump left his co-conspirators out to dry, how unlike him, while trying to save his own ass. Um, I, I guess with regard to these specific people who sought the pardons, we know that seeking a pardon is evidence of consciousness of guilt. Does that play into a prosecutor's judgment in terms of handing down an indictment? It, it does. So the Supreme Court many years ago, in a case uh, in which the, the litigant was a guy named George Burdick, he was a newspaper man in New York, um, the Supreme Court said two things about pardons. It said that a pardon is some indication of guilt. The precise language is they say a pardon carries with it an imputation of guilt. The second thing they said is accepting a pardon is some admission of guilt. If I were a prosecutor and I knew it, let, let's take a concrete example, Brian. We know Steve Bannon got a pardon from Donald Trump because he was indicted federally. He was being prosecuted for stealing from Donald Trump's base by creating this bogus We Build the Wall Foundation. How, how unseemly is it that Donald Trump pardoned 
Bannon for stealing from Trump's base? We don't know if Bannon well, got Trump, to keep the money. Right. Donald Trump did it from his own base, so I guess he what, does. What's, fair, fair what's, what's Steve Bannon doing it, you know? Fair enough. What was I thinking? Um, but now we know Bannon is being investigated for state crimes in connection with that, what was basically a financial fraud scheme. Because one thing I can promise you, when somebody like Steve Bannon commits federal financial crimes, including um, federal tax fraud, he absolutely commits state tax fraud as well. And fortunately, the New York authorities are potentially pursuing charges against Bannon in New York state court. If I were the prosecutor, I would say to the state court judge, you know, judge, the Supreme Court has said receiving a pardon, accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt. We want to introduce into evidence against Steve Bannon in his state case the fact that he accepted the federal pardon for virtually identical crimes. I think a judge would rule in favor of the prosecution. Yeah, that's actually I, that's a that's a pretty brilliant point that I hadn't thought of at all. Just a quick question on that: um, there wouldn't be any any degree of like double jeopardy by virtue of charging Bannon with the same crime on the state level as he was charged on the federal level, would there? Double jeopardy only applies when you're dealing with one jurisdiction or one sovereign. So you can't try somebody twice for the same crime in federal court, and you can't charge them or try them twice for the same crime in state court. But double jeopardy does not cross jurisdictional lines. So sometimes you can be prosecuted in federal court and then prosecuted for identical conduct in state court. So in terms of this latest hearing uh, with Cassidy Hutchinson as the witness, she revealed that Trump knew that the protesters were armed and he still wanted security measures waived. And she testified that he wanted to join the protesters as they marched to the Capitol. Basically him physically leading an insurrection. Does that prove criminal conspiracy? Um, well, it doesn't prove conspiracy because conspiracy would be an agreement, a criminal agreement between two or more people. What it does prove is it provides additional proof of Donald Trump's treason. And I use that word advisedly. But even before I get there, I think it provides further proof of a seditious conspiracy as it relates to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, potentially, because they were armed, they were in the crowd, they've already been charged with seditious conspiracy. Fortunately, members of both organizations are cooperating with prosecutors. So I think before too long, we're going to hear about the links that are being built to guys like Bannon and Roger Stone, and perhaps directly to Meadows and right into the Oval Office. We have to wait to see how the evidence plays out in that regard. But I think it also ups the criminal ante with respect to the evidence of inciting an insurrection, inciting a riot, which is a different charge, and indeed inciting an armed insurrection. And there's another crime that I think is directly in play that we haven't heard much about after Cassidy Hutchinson talked about how he knew his supporters were armed with assault rifles, pistols, and other weapons. He said, take down the metal detectors, let them in, and then we will all march to the Capitol. As you say, that is him intending to lead an armed attack on the Capitol. So there's a crime called 18 United States Code 111, and it is assaulting a, a, a government official. And let's think about Mike Pence, because Mike Pence was in the performance of his official duties, certifying Joe Biden's win. And 18 U.S.C. 111 says, if you assault or otherwise interfere, impede, or in obstruct 
the uh, a, an official, a government official, during the course of their duties or because of their official duties, you're guilty of assaulting a public official. And it's an eight-year offense unless weapons are involved. If weapons are involved, it's a 20-year offense. Now, you can only stack up so many charges on Donald Trump. You can only confine him for but one lifetime. But boy, it, it, it is a smorgasbord of criminal charges against Donald Trump. Explain the process to me. Let's say on some planet in a faraway galaxy, Donald Trump gets charged by the DOJ. What happens next and what recourse does Trump have? What phone charging slowly. This is the fastest phone charger on the market. There's a 90% a chance your phone is... criminal charges. What happens next and what recourse does Trump have? What happens next, and I would bet the dollar, that's my betting limit, I'm not a high roller, that Donald Trump delivered himself a pardon, because when was he ever going to forego a good grift, right? <laughs> His advisors could have told him all day long, Mr. President, we think a self-pardon is a bad thing because you're actually admitting your own guilt by pardoning yourself. He did it. He has it in his back, back, back pocket. I am convinced. So the first thing he would do is he would pull out that pardon, and then the Department of Justice would have to litigate whether a presidential self-pardon is constitutional. There's no legal authority. There's no precedent because a court has never taken that issue up. But there is an Office of Legal Counsel opinion that is a product of the Watergate days that says summarily, a presidential self-pardon is not permitted because no man can be a judge in his own case. That, and it's completely devoid of legal reasoning or authority, so I don't think it's, it's really worth the paper it's written on, but the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel, at least in the 70s, took that position. So I think a court would strike down a presidential self-pardon. Then the next thing is he would be hauled into court. He would be arraigned on the indictment. The judge would make but it's probably not the difficult decision about whether to detain him pending trial or put him on release, home detention, electronic monitoring pending trial, which would be my bet, although I think he has earned uh, pretrial detention in my estimation. Um, and then motions would be set, litigated, and a trial date would be set. And here's one thing I am sure of. We can impanel a fair and impartial jury to try Donald Trump. I am convinced of that from spending 30 years picking juries in the courts of Washington, D.C. Can they appeal a the, the verdict in a jury trial? Yes, you can always appeal a guilty verdict. Um, the defendant's appellate rights are, are vast. The prosecution's appellate rights are very limited. Usually if the judge makes a pretrial ruling that is dispositive of the case, for example, if a judge ruled in pretrial litigation that I don't think you can try a former president, and dismissed the indictment, that would be an appealable ruling by the prosecutors, but appealable rulings by prosecutors are very few and far between. What's the end of the line in terms of an appeal? Like how far does Trump, can Trump go in terms of, let's say, you know, all the stars align and he does, and, and the jury does uh, uh, find him guilty, how far can he go? In, terms in of theory, he can go all the way up to the Supreme Court. He would go from the Federal District Trial Court to the DC Federal Circuit Court of Appeals and then up to the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court decided to exercise jurisdiction. There are thousands of cases appealed to the Supreme Court every year, and they only accept review of a very small fraction of those cases, because most cases don't present an important constitutional issue to be resolved. Now, 
If we convicted a former president, I'm quite sure the Supreme Court would want to weigh in, right? Here's the good news. And, you know, I, I have not been pulling out the O word, optimism, all that much recently. But the court, in my opinion, held fast in the election challenge cases, right? They did not accept review in a single case that was attacking Joe Biden's win. Why? Well, one would like to think, because there were no significant constitutional issues to be litigated, I think there's something else at play. If the Supreme Court accepted review of, the, of a case and did something that installed Donald Trump as a de facto dictator, you know what dictators have no need for? Supreme a Court. Supreme Court. So I don't trust the good judgment, the honor, or the ethics of the Supreme Court as presently constituted, but I do trust that they are so power-hungry and egomaniacal, and they so dearly covet their power that they will not do anything that runs the risk of installing Trump back into the presidency um, to, to make him a dictator. Yeah, well, maybe eight of them. Uh, can't, can't, say, can't say as much for all nine. Um, you know, more broadly in these hearings, we've learned that Trump knew the truth about election fraud. He knew the truth about the outcome, about the danger posed by these protesters, about the illegality of John Eastman's scheme for Mike Pence. Um, and yet he continued to lie and incite violence regardless. Is there any reason that you could find that the DOJ would not indict Trump? Is there, you know, are there any potential holes in the DOJ's case against him? No. This case, based on the public reporting alone, is stronger than the vast majority of cases I tried as a career prosecutor. If the DOJ declines to prosecute Donald Trump, it will be a political decision. It will not be a decision based on the facts and based on an application of the law to those facts. But given some of these recent revelations, together with witness tampering, which is a big deal and should be handled in a way very different from the other substantive crimes that Donald Trump committed. Um, I don't think the Department of Justice can decline to prosecute Donald Trump and retain any modicum of legitimacy as a law enforcement agency. And I think Merrick Garland is keenly interested in the legitimacy of the Department of Justice as an institution. And the only way to retain that legitimacy is by holding Trump accountable for his crimes. So Mike Flynn uh, pleaded the fifth when asked if he believes in a peaceful transition of power. What was your response to that moment? My re this simple 30-second method reverses memory loss for good. It's so easy, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. An award-winning scientist from Osaka University in Japan has just made a terrifying discovery that changes everything we know about memory loss and brain diseases. It shows that two years before the brain loses all its memories, you start saying this sentence in a different manner than usual. This little-known experiment proved that memory loss has absolutely nothing to do with your age, lifestyle, or genetics. Instead, Dr. Sam Walters, a brain health expert and former NASA scientist, discovered that memory loss is in fact caused by the consumption of five neurotoxic chemicals used extensively within the American food industry. These neurotoxic chemicals create a brain rot that alters your ability to properly speak before completely erasing all your memories. In fact, studies done on 3,400 people with memory problems found that the more rot they had in their brains, the harder it was for them to pronounce certain words. But don't worry, by avoiding the foods containing these five neurotoxic chemicals, 
and diligently using Dr. Walter's clinically backed 30 second brain rejuvenating method. The brain rot can be destroyed regardless of your age or current medical condition so that you'll be able to enjoy a sharp mind well into your 70s and 80s, clear brain fog for good, boost focus and concentration and never have to worry about losing your identity or independence. You can use the blue watch now button below to watch a short video revealing the five neurotoxic foods you have to avoid and the 30 second method to reverse your memory loss starting today. More than 45,670 people are already using it and not only have they been able to restore their lost memories but they're also increasing their immunity to brain diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's all without the need for medications and their side effects or expensive treatments. So stop what you are doing right now and use the blue watch now button below to see a short free, eye-opening video that reveals the five foods you need to watch out for and shows how thousands of people are using this strange 30-second method to restore their memories and instantly boost their brain power. This method is working so well that the greedy executives within the healthcare industry are doing everything they can to keep this memory loss reversing method hidden from the public to protect their absurd profits. I urge you to use the blue watch now button below and start using this method to eliminate memory loss and restore lost memories forever. I'm not sure how long this video will be available for as pressure mounts from large corporations to get this taken down. See it now before the video is officially taken offline. Stop. Stop making Amazon sellers rich. I hate to tell you this, but every single time you shop on Amazon, you're making someone like me semi-passive income. That's right, someone like me who dropped out of three different colleges, and now I'm making a full-time living selling products on Amazon. Now, I wanna show you a trick on how you can tell how much money you're making someone on Amazon per month. Just come check this out. So step one, the next time you shop on Amazon, scroll down to the product description part and see what their best seller rank is. Step two, see if the ranking is below 10,000. And if it is, it means this person is making tens of thousands of dollars a month in passive income, if not more. Take the silicone whisk, for example. It's not sold by some big company. It's most likely sold by someone like me or my friends where we send our product to Amazon and Amazon does all the heavy lifting for us. So if we scroll down, this is the best seller rank of 2,862. It is currently generating someone $38,000 per month in semi-passive income. The question is, why help others to make passive income when you can potentially earn your own too? Hi, my name is Tom Wang. I was a pretty normal guy a few years ago. I was working at 9 to 5 at Yellow Pages, but I always knew I wanted to create a side hustle for myself. So when someone introduced me to the world of Amazon, at first I was super skeptical. I thought Amazon was a place where you can just buy old textbooks from. However, as I dove into the world of Amazon, I realized how much of the heavy lifting Amazon does for you. It gives you all the customers, it does all the fulfillment, the returns, the shipping, it literally does 90% of the heavy lifting for you. All you need to do is find a profitable product to sell on Amazon where there is demand. And a few years later, I was able to quit my job, work on an Amazon business full-time, and now I'm able to travel and do stuff I like. And by the way, this is my sales over the past few years. And I also started teaching this method to see if I just got lucky or is my system repeatable. And it turns out it is. I mean, check out all these people's results. Even my best friend started selling on Amazon and he was able to reach $200,000 per month in sales in under one year. Oh, and by the way, before Amazon, he worked at a car dealership.
So if you're interested in learning how to create your own brand on Amazon or just sell random products, I can show you the system I created. For me, I like to teach things in a step-by-step -step process. So for a limited time, I created a free training where I teach you the exact step-by-step -step of how to start your own Amazon business, even if you're working a nine-to-five job like me. And it doesn't matter if you have prior experience or not. Everybody start from somewhere, right? So click on this ad right now, and I'll see you on the other side. My response to that moment was, and I'm a former Army JAG prosecutor, I tried court-martial cases back in the 80s into the early 90s, Mike Flynn should be restored to active duty and should be court-martialed, period. And there are cases, appellate court cases, that stand for the proposition that that is a lawful process, that the military can restore to active duty a retired officer and can prosecute him for his crimes, including crimes he committed while retired. This, we are paying his, his retirement salary. And he is saying, I would incriminate myself if I answered the question whether I believe in the peaceful transition of presidential power. That's an abomination. And that is, it's an obscenity for a retired military flag officer to give that kind of an answer. Okay, so let's finish off with this. You know, more than ever before, people have been writing to me that they're scared about what's going on, that they feel powerless. Like, I've, I've been doing these videos for years, even in the depths of the Trump administration. It never felt so dire. Obviously, the Supreme Court has a lot to do with that, too. But also the way that Trumpism has pervaded almost every race across the country as we head into midterms now. What do you say to people who see how dismal things have been going, you know, who are looking for some reassurance? So it's hard to reassure them substantively, because DOJ has lingered far too long without charging any of the command structure of the insurrection. I still believe that's coming. Um, but what I tell people is engage, engage, engage. So one of the things I did was I printed out from the uh, Virginia government website a stack of voter registration forms. Check your local state rules, regulations, and statutes to make sure you're not running afoul of them. And I choose to act as my own little mobile voter registration unit. I don't care if it's the grocery store, the gas station, or wherever. I'm like, are you registered to vote? Are you interested in registering to vote? Because I have a form here, and I'm happy to help you fill it out if you need help. If everybody engaged, Brian, I, I think, and, and it's not, this is not just window dressing. I mean, if everybody engaged like that, you know, we could probably vote in numbers too big to rig and too real to steal, notwithstanding the state legislature's, you know, determination to nullify our votes. We can overcome that. And that kind of engagement, I think, makes you feel good, gives you purpose, and it's motivating. That's something you can do concretely to, to kind of hold at bay the, the despair and desperation. We are on the exact same page on this. People have asked me, you know, like, what can I do? I said, number one, the very first thing that you can do is just be responsible for your circle of people and just find a couple people who haven't voted. I mean, we all have somebody in our family, in our group of friends who, you know, doesn't vote, who is more apolitical, who, who uh, sees themselves as like more in the middle of both sides. You know, like everybody has that person. But 
If you look at Wisconsin, for example, Biden won the election in Wisconsin by three votes per precinct. That's it. So, like, if you don't think that you can have a huge impact by just finding one or two or three people in your circle who you can convince to vote or not in your circle, like you've said, if you're just, you know, out and about, um, it can have a big impact. And so that's the number one thing I would say as well is just to, like, get people involved in this process. Um, so so you're, you're, you're exactly on the mark there. Glenn, uh, I'll leave it there because I know I could ask you questions all day long and, uh, and you probably want to go have meals and whatnot. So thank you for all of your time. I appreciate it. And uh, real quick, let us know, let people watching and listening know where they can uh, find, find more of you. Uh, yeah, they can find me on the social media platforms. I think that's what they call them. I'm still playing catch up on social media, but on YouTube, I have a, a YouTube channel called Justice Matters, but I think everything is run other, under Glenn Kirshner 2. So Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, or just put my name in, put Justice Matters in, and it will pop up. It's always free to subscribe. And that's where I get to air out the legal issues of the day, seven days a week, put a little bit more meat on the bones than I get in the three minutes I'm on with MSNBC each day. So if you, you want to get a little, uh, a fuller explanation of the legal issues of the day, I invite you to come on over to YouTube, Justice Matters. That's Glenn, G-L-E-N-N. Glenn, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian.